I wish I relied on those people around me more just because those people that you surround yourself with truly are just there, you know, and they're, if they're uncomfortable with those conversations or if they don't want to have those conversations, then unfortunately those people may not deserve to be in your life. You know, it's harsh, but at the end of the day, I think the people you, that you surround yourself with is, is very much a key aspect of, of your healing journey. And I mean, even, even for me, I think I had this, this misconception that when I take that first step, it's going to be fine and dandy after that. You know, when I take that first step, I'm going to go to therapy two or three times and it's going to be fine. I won't have to put in too much work. But for anybody that's listening, I, unfortunately, there's work involved. Welcome back to the Man Over Matter podcast, where we discuss everything and anything mental health as we continue to challenge the social stigmas and society's views on what it means to be a man. I'm your host, Fabian Warner, joined as always by my man, Derek Hill. How are you doing today, sir? Feeling good. I like to hear Today's that. Today's a good day. Like to Today's a good day. <laughs> Derek's got a lot going on. He just might be selling his house, I hear. Well, let's cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we're bullshitting about real life shit. All right, yeah, yeah, it's on the market. We're we're on the market. Things are happening, man. It's a hot market here in Calgary. Awesome, dude. Well, today's guest I'm excited about, he's a former Humboldt Bronco and a survivor of the devastating crash that took the lives of 16 and injured 13 more. He's a bright light in the mental health space as he continues to work on his mental health. He's even started his own clothing brand called Not Alone in support of mental health awareness. Please join us in providing a warm men's league welcome to our man, Mr. Tyler Smith. Talk to me, brother. What's gentlemen, up, gentlemen, what's going on? No, I, I'm happy to hear that the the house is. Maybe I'll maybe I'll be looking. Okay, maybe I maybe we need a house. So yeah, I'll come I'll come over for a showing and check out the studio. <laughs> come by with an offer, man. Come by with exactly. an offer. Exactly. <laughs> Get your pennies all round up, though. It's I've, I've <laughs> priced it. I've priced it, I've priced it so that not to sell. We'll say that. There you go. Yeah, yeah. smart though. Yeah, no, absolutely. But yeah, thanks. Thanks very much, fellas, for having me on, and looking forward to a, a good little man chat. Man chat. Yeah, I just want to just quickly on the Please. the whole intro side. I just recently learned that Tyler's a Formula One fan. Oh God, here we go. And he's a big <laughs> Formula One guy, which I was excited to see because I saw him post a story, and obviously I'm, I've been following it for over a decade now, I think. And we we actually today had a good chat on what the season's like. So it's it's good because we're few and far between. So it's good to find a like-minded scholar and gentleman that... Just so you know, Tyler, Formula, Formula One. One is a constant reminder that I miss, missed the epic bachelor party of one of our good buddies. So Derek, they went and they watched some racing and all that. So I always get a little sensitive when it gets brought up. But do you like Formula One? Tell us about it, bro. What's your What's your deal? You know what? I, I I don't think I'm a poser fan anymore. I will say I'm, I'm going to completely admit to it. The the Netflix documentary got me hooked. I do have yes. one. One of my good friends has been following it for like a decade as well and knows everything there is to know about every car and the mechanics behind it. But I just find it fascinating. I, I think it's so cool. Like, I'm not necessarily a NASCAR guy. I'm not necessarily kind of anything like that. But I mean, I've always, I mean, I've always definitely enjoyed just any sport and I, I think just the formula one aspect is insane like i think it's it's truly incredible to watch and now that i'm into it i think i'm into it and i'd love to hit spielberg and and montreal and and all yes. the all the spots i don't know if i'll be doing dubai or, or monaco or any of those but i'd love to be able to just go to one hey let me know if you need a if you need a travel <laughs> partner man i got i got montreal under my belt and i'm itching to get to austin or or any other racetrack so do you know do you know what's crazy about Let's Formula One and racing? Similar to every other sport that I've gone to see live, you don't really appreciate the fullness of a sport, I think, until you go and and sit there live. Like even myself, let's use hockey as an example. I remember the first time I went to a Flames game, like top two, like right beside, right behind a goalie, and I'm like, 
this is how fast the puck goes. And I could <laughs> like how, how big the guys were, the communication, the way they were hitting against the boards, the, the quickness and how they moved the puck. I was blown away. It completely changed my perception of hockey. So I'm sure it's probably the same with Formula One. Like if I were able to attend an event, I think it would probably change my perspective. So. Yeah. yeah, I would agree on that. Especially, I, I even I went to my first basketball like NBA game a couple of years ago, and and before that, like I mean, I was I was dancing on tables when the Raptors won, and I mean, I definitely like basketball and I enjoy it, but to be able to actually watch it live and just be like, these guys are incredible, <laughs> like these guys are like next level athletes, and to be able to do what they do, and I mean, the atmosphere in those games is is awesome too. So I think, yeah, I would. I mean, I have every sport on my bucket list. I would love to go see the Wimbledon. I'd love to go see the All Blacks. And, you know, I'd love to just do everything. But, I mean, yes. we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about, man. Well, you know, before before we get into that, the questions in the show, I mean, I, I'm going to shift the, the discussion a little bit and then just talk about kind of trauma and, and the effect that can have on mental health. So, you know, it can sometimes, it can affect the way we feel about ourselves. It can affect how we relate to others. People who have gone through some form of trauma or abuse, you know, can often develop mental health hurdles, conditions like depression, anxiety, or, or post-traumatic stress. So depending on the size of the impact of the trauma, it can sometimes affect us on a much larger scale and touch a much broader audience. So today's podcast really is about trauma, but also hope, you know, resilience and healing. And I think I speak for both Derek and I, I'm sure a lot of you listening in the audience today as well, when I say I remember exactly where I was when I heard about that crash, the Humboldt Broncos bus, April 6, 2018. The magnitude of that tragedy could be felt nationwide, and it holds a lot of emotion for a lot of Canadians as well as the rest of the world. So with that, Tyler, we're actually honored and we're blessed that, you, that you're joining us here today and, and to chat about mental health and the things that you're working on. Yeah, I mean, I always find it kind of fascinating to to find out kind of where people were when they found out. Because, I mean, even my mom, she found out from one of my friends. Like, she got a text and be like, did you hear about what happened? And obviously, it's a weird feeling because it's like I was a part of something. And I, I I hope that never nobody ever is a part of anything like that again. But, I mean, even with me, I can remember when Kobe died where I was. And I think it's just one of those events where I think you saw it after. You saw the way that Canada reacted and you saw the way it shook the nation and you saw the, the support. And, I mean, it's still to this day. I feel like, you, especially in the hockey world, it's still... I hope kind of rocks you to the core just because, I mean, it sure does for me. And it feels like it was just yesterday. And that shock factor, I don't think will ever really fully set in. But yeah, again, I think it's just whenever I even hop onto a podcast or anything, I just, I mean, the, the support and the love that we received is definitely what helped me and my family at least get through quite a, quite a bit of tough times and quite a bit of hard days. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's even just looking back, just the way that everybody rallied around us was was truly just monumental and, and, and so so incredible, yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, I, I want to start with the beginning. I want I want you to tell us about tell us about Tyler. Tell us about a young Tyler. How he became a Bronco, the atmosphere of that locker room. You know, run me through the story of how that came to be. How you came to be on that team. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an interesting story. I, I, I definitely was just kind of one of those junior A hockey players where I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So junior A hockey was the, the perfect outlet. I mean, I could go to the rink and I could practice, go to games and, and do all the fun stuff and not really have to worry about a lot. So, I mean, it was the, I think it was the perfect kind of gateway into, I guess, where I am today. I mean, even in hockey, looking back, I've my longest lasting friends and my, my best relationships and friendships are, are truly probably from hockey. I can't thank my parents enough for putting me in the sport. And I mean, so I ended up playing in Drain Valley for my 18-year-old year of, of junior and it didn't work out. So then I kind of started my 19-year-old year, I guess, looking for a place to play. And I guess for people that don't really know, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't a goal scorer. I wasn't a playmaker. I wasn't anything that really, I mean, caught the attention of a coach or, or something like that. And I mean, I wasn't a guy that had an agent. I didn't really have anybody vouching for me. I mean, I was more or less just kind of, I was put in a spot where I was just calling around coaches and, and hoping for an opportunity. And I mean, the, the season was already getting underway and I probably called, I think every coach in Alberta for junior A, some in BC, some in Saskatchewan. And my luck was running out. And I was, I was almost at the point of, 
I'm just kind of giving up and, and just being like, okay, I should just start my life. Like, why am I even trying for this um, mini dream, I guess, that obviously wasn't really working out. So uh, I sent one last kind of final text to one of my, my brother's best friends who played in Humboldt for three years. And I sent the text and I said, Trevor, I, I need your help, man. Like, I know you know my character. I know you know that I obviously still love the game. And I know you know that, I mean, I love just the atmosphere. I love the dressing room. I love the guys and I love all that. So I sent the text and, and he, he reached out to Darcy and who was the coach of Humboldt at the time. And that's uh, what kind of spiraled into, I guess, me becoming a Bronco. I mean, I loaded up my Jeep Grand Cherokee for the six hour drive to Humboldt, not knowing if I was going to be for sure on the team or not. And I remember that first practice I got there and and I was out of shape. <laughs> I mean, I was I was off off the ice for quite a while. So I mean, I I got there and they put me through the ringer after practice. And I remember I just I laid on the bench like I was just like I'm I'm gonna die. I was like I'm gonna puke my guts out and like no way I'm sticking around. I was like there's no way that Darcy's gonna look at this kid who's just huffing and puffing on the bench and be like yeah we need this kid. <laughs> so. I ended up actually sticking around, and I remember that first game. Even I scored in my first shift, and then I, I think nice. I put up, yeah, of course. And yeah. I, I put up, I put up two or three points in that game, and I'm like, shit. Like I think people are gonna think that I'm gonna be like get her in or something like that. Um, but that, yeah, yeah, yeah that that quickly shifted, and then I kind of more set into my that, that dressing room mold that I love, and I mean even that. After that first win, I remember just walking into the dressing room and I was like, this is this is where I want to be. Like, this is a good group and this is a, a group of guys that truly just care about the culture and, and truly just care about as simple as just playing for that logo on the front. And I mean, I know that's so cliche and every sport has it. Don't play for the, the name on the back and play for the logo on the front. But I mean, the, the, the our coach, Darcy, just ingrained in us. He's like, this is, I mean, as much as we want to be good hockey players, we also have to be good people. And I think the biggest thing for for our team is <clears throat> we res- we respected and, and loved our our community so much. And, and Humboldt's, I think, the the winningest team in, in the SJ. So, I mean, it's it, it was no slouch. Nice. And the, the community, yeah, the community's been through quite a lot, a couple of championships and everything like that. So, just the fact that we had that community support is, which is, I think, what led us to do a lot of community involvement, a lot of heading to elementary schools and 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 handing out lunches for kids and and whatever it was. I mean, Darcy had us doing a lot just to kind of give back to the fact that this this community was supporting us. So the least we could do is reciprocate that. That's awesome. That's man. awesome, man. I I actually didn't realize that. I guess you mentioned that you didn't have a, an agent, but like you put in the groundwork for yourself to get your spot on the team. Like you were out there grinding away and knocking on doors and like trying to find that spot. Hey. Yeah, it was a little different just because I mean, I guess that any coach that looks me up, like a, the the known hockey website where you can look up any kid that has played junior or higher, is Hockey mm. DB, and you go to my Hockey DB, and a coach isn't going to be like, oh, this kid's we need this kid, you know, like it's, it's never, I don't think it was ever that case. So it was definitely me kind of trying to push hopefully my kind of character and trying to push the fact that, I mean, I respect the fact that I'm a third and fourth line guy, but I, I still want to do whatever I can for this team, whether it's take a puck in the mouth or whether it's just be there and play the right song in the dressing room. Like, I mean, it's as simple as that, but I, I truly took pride in that role and I, I, I hope I did it well. And yeah, that it was, let me tell you, it was a grind. It was, uh, it wasn't easy to, to cold call coaches and be like, Hey man, like <laughs> you want to give me a shot. So it definitely took a toll on me, but I'm glad it, it worked out and I ended up in Humboldt, obviously. That's awesome, man. And you know what? Like one, I got to say, I respect the fact that you called coaches. Cause again, as we're going through this men's league thing, I'm realizing that a lot of the young men that we talked to are actually farther along than I was at their age. Cause I was not going to probably be calling coaches like that and had the confidence to do that. So that's the first thing. There's two things you said I wanted to touch on. One was that you were a third line guy, but you embraced your role. I think that's an amazing thing to do. I think every winning team needs guys like that. So I think I just wanted to point that out as a sports fan. I, I think it's cool to hear guys when they know they're not supposed to be the top two liners, but they still love coming to practice. They still love doing their role. And then the the last thing that you said that I absolutely loved is you talked about like guys that you're like going to battle with and you're growing up with and it's almost borderline like their family. And it, it really speaks to me because I'm similar to you. Like you say, like lifelong friends, you spend almost more time with your teammates sometimes than you do your own friends or your own family. 
And I'm still friends with a lot of the guys I played college ball with, like some of my best friends. So I told like when you said that, it really resonated with me for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I think you, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I think it's just it's so incredible how, what sport can do for you. And I mean, even I know junior hockey is different than kind of your minor hockey, but at least for with junior hockey, I mean, I couldn't even imagine being on a team where you don't like the guys or you don't like the coach or you don't like whoever. Because I mean. I would go to practice in the morning. I would come home, maybe do a workout, and then I'd hop over to Bryce and, and, and Wax and, and just sit there and play Fortnite all day and then have Bachelor at night. Yeah, you know, like it was just, it was it was so weird to think about like this, this second life, you know, where I'm not with my family, I'm with a billet family. And and even that, like, I mean, my billet family is literally my second family. Like I can, I can text Paul and Nancy whenever I want and I can just be like, hey, like, Obviously, right now I can't just get up and go and go see them, but it'd be it, it would be that case. It'd be like, hey, you know, can I come and see you guys? And it'd be a no-brainer. And I know it's very similar in every sport, but obviously I'm very biased with the hockey side of things just because of I've experienced it. And I mean, the hockey is just it's truly like a family. And I mean, it was uh, it's such a testament to our coach Darcy the way he created that family. You know, like even on our core covenant in the dressing room, the first line of his core covenant that he made was family first. And I mean, I know for, for some guys, I mean, they maybe don't have the luxury of having that incredible support family. And so that's why, I mean, we had that family in the dressing room. And I think that's what every guy truly appreciated. Whereas we were able to come to the dressing room and not just have hockey, you know, it, it's, it was about life as well. It was about growing as, as an individual and as a team. And I think that's what helped us succeed so much. That's awesome, man. I'm going to ask another question here. I mean, this one's a tough question to answer and, you know, feel as comfortable as you do answering any part of it or, or whatnot. But can you tell us what you kind of remember from that, you know, that horrific day that touched so many? Yeah, so, I mean, I've definitely touched on this and it's obviously looking back, even with the accident anniversary coming up, it's never something that's easy to talk about. But I guess I'm fortunate where I don't remember anything from that day. I don't remember anything for probably about three or four days after that as well, which is probably one of the bigger blessings in disguises in my life. I guess the, the mental and emotional injuries from that day, from waking up at the scene are, are something I couldn't even fathom. And I think it's just something that a lot of people would never be able to fathom. So, but other than that, I think I just waking up in the hospital four or five days after and, and obviously waking up pretty groggy and on your morphine drip and having all these doctors come in and, and being around friends and family and, and seeing, you know, Ron McLean and Don Cherry and Justin Trudeau and, and, and NHL hockey players in your room. My mind was definitely starting to wander and I was, you know, I was trying to figure out what's going on. Like, why why am i in a hospital why why are these people coming to visit me and i i thank my my parents so much for easing me into obviously what just happened and the degree of it but those those days where i was awake and those days where i i mean i guess was more present were were extremely challenging i mean i remember even watching well, there was four of the boys they had a funeral for them at rogers place in edmonton and i remember watching it on my laptop and I had doctors coming in, checking on things. I had nurses coming in, checking on things. Like I couldn't fully just watch the funeral. I think that was that was extremely challenging because I mean it's it's not like I wanted that closure, but I think that was I mean it was it's I don't know like even just looking back, it's it's hard to even kind of picture that moment and and picture being back in that moment. But I think that was just I mean I can vividly remember trying to watch it and being interrupted time after time and just seeing all the all the people at Rogers place for the four boys and I mean it, it was a it was a big thing of I wanted to be there you know I wanted to be able to to be there and show my support for the boys and and just be there but I mean I, I couldn't so all I was left with was obviously just watching online but it was yeah I mean it's just looking back it's it's quite a blur but I guess the waking up the the physical side of things uh, took quite a toll, but I'm definitely I'm happy with where I am on the physical side of things. So I'll prob I think I'm probably as, as good as I'm going to get, which I can't complain, probably about 95%. So I think that's, that's something that I can definitely be grateful for. But yeah. Do you think that the physical side of things, like obviously that was a huge hurdle and that's something that's like permanent and you can't pretend that you're not physically hurt when you're hurt that bad. Like, did that did that kind of mask some of the mental health challenges that you were faced with over the time or like did you did you immediately start to feel the effect of of what had happened right away or did the physical side kind of take 
take priority first and then it sort of kind of transitioned in down the road that's but that's bang on i think i kind of just went right into that athlete mindset where it was yes. like okay i gotta get my physical side of things back to it i gotta make sure that you know i'm i'm doing my physio and i'm doing all my things and i mean even after i think it was i was in the hospital for 13 days and even as soon as i got back i mean i was at physio for two hours a day i was doing my exercises i was doing my stretching and or whatever it was and i think I just kept in silence. I completely just wanted to just suffer in silence. I mean, I, not necessarily that I wanted to, but it was definitely a case of I've never understood mental health. I don't know what the definition is. I don't know where to go. Because, I mean, let, let's be honest. Like, I mean, we were 18 to 20-year-old kids, and this just happened. How do you, how do you even begin to try and navigate a path? or a, Or kind of how do you even try to begin to face your mental health or face your emotional health of, of what's going on inside your mind. Because I mean, for however many weeks and months following, it was just, it was just lingering questions of, of why, like, why did this happen? Why us? Like, what do we do? Like, what is there something, you know, like it was just such a, I was just so consumed with those questions. And I mean, to, to an extent, I still am. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely um, yeah. working on it. I'm definitely, I'm getting to a point now where it's not necessarily consumed with those questions but i think it was just so comfortable for me to just sit back and 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 just let it all bottle up and let it all kind of just run on the back burner and yeah i mean i always say my poor parents just because i mean my parents my mom especially she took time off work for three months and my, and my poor dad was still working and and they would just come home and, and it'd be like how are you how are you doing you know what do you what do you need and i just sit there and watch tv and i'd be like yeah i'm fine yeah no i don't need anything yeah it's, it's good mm -hmm. yeah no one and i mean i think at that time i didn't even know what vulnerability was like i truly didn't even know what that meant at that point i never even understood i knew the definition of courage and bravery and and vulnerability but I never was able to put it into um, fruition on the mental health side of things. Like, you know, I was never like a courageous act is you opening up and being vulnerable with your friends. Like that's never something that crossed my mind. It's just not something that I wanted to cross my mind, especially as well, just because I didn't want to face that. I, I just wanted to deal with it by myself. And, and I didn't want to put these burdens on, on my friends or family's plates. And I mean, it's, Looking back, it's the worst thing I, I could have done just because I, I, I chose to try and deal with it by myself, which was so completely wrong. But I mean, then again, it was it, looking back, it's a big learning experience. I think that happens inherently is where you, you try to deal with that shit internally first. And I think that's a big part of what Men's League is about, too, is that you... I think you, obviously you guys were young men at the time and, and, you know, some of the challenges that, you know, everyone's kind of faced with at those young ages, I think first things first is you try and bottle it up and you try and deal with it yourself. Like, and I think in reality that, like you said, it's, it's not the right way to do it, but for whatever reason, people just do that. They just go in inside first. Yeah. And so it's, I mean, it's good to hear your story, man. And it's good for people to end this kind of what men's league, like I said, is about is to try and share those stories and create that vulnerability and give that space and show that in fact, you know, you're better off to try and understand it and talk about it and work through it rather than soak it up and deal with it within for days, months, weeks, years, you know, like it's people can hold that shit for a long time. Yeah. Growing up, I, I touched on it, but I was such a, I, I just, I, I love social settings. I found that I flourished in social settings, whether that be the dressing room, whether that be a party, whether that be a classroom, whether that be whatever it was. And I mean, I think I definitely tried to get back to that, you know, as soon as I was able to, you know, I was somewhat in physically in a, in a shape where I could go out and see friends and kind of go out and do things again. I mean, I was still trying to be that, that human. I was still trying to be that that selfless dude that would check up on other guys and make sure that everybody else is having a good time and making sure that everybody else is laughing. And, and I think that's just what I just fell into trying to get back to that where I would come home and I didn't really feel good about it. You know, I'd be like, I just completely put that mask on, but I just didn't recognize it. And I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I wish I would have obviously coped with differently but then again I think it's just at that point I was still 
still to this day, I mean, the, the shock was so raw and everything that happened was so raw. It was just like, I'm just going to try this. I'm just going to go about this. I'm just going to try and get back to that fun, loving, selfless dude I was and, and see what happens. And I mean, unfortunately, that wasn't the the route I needed to take. But then again, it's it's good that I was able to to recognize that and, and start to, you know, put my, put what's going on inside my mind at the forefront instead of just kind of worrying about everybody else. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Like when Derek was saying, this is kind of what men's league's about. It's funny. Cause I, we started this movement or community or what you, whatever you want to call it. And I find myself today still struggling with this exact thing, trying to internalize things and deal with it on my own. And, but at least now I, I'm able to register it and catch it. And I'm, I'm still battling with it, but at least I'm having the battle. Whereas I think most of our lives we've spent trying to do exactly what you, what you did. And, and that's the natural reaction for most men, I think, is to try and internalize it. You, you said something when you were telling the story. Tyler, you and I had that chat a couple of weeks ago and... And we were talking about the bus itself and, and I was relating for me when I heard the story, like obviously what really hit home for me is the bus is that's a safe place for teams. Like when I was playing college, when we got on the bus, it was like you were going home, you were in a safe place. So th that really rocked me personally because I thought of all the times that I was carefree on the bus. And then but what I really wanted to ask you is obviously you're in this you're in this spot and you're, you're, you're going through these mental health challenges. What was it that kind of helped pull you out of that? And what, like, was it, was it, was it a person? Was it, was it just self-reflection? Like, how did you start making these steps towards kind of getting to where you are now? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great question just because, I mean, obviously off the top of my head, I will relate it to one person and it was my bill of mom actually, when I went back to, to Humboldt and I played 10 games and, and she obviously could see that I wasn't the, in a good place and I wasn't really doing this, I guess, for myself. I mean, I, I, I went back and I was like, I'm, I'm playing for everybody that we lost and that's it. You know, like I, that's all I wanted to do. And it was, it was, it's something that I'll, looking back, I'll never, ever regret. You know, I can always say I, I went back, I tried. But after those 10 games, I mean, they, everybody could see that I just wasn't who I was. You know, and I think my Billa mom, she, I remember it was right before I was leaving to go back home. She looked me dead in the eyes and on the, I think it was in the kitchen. And she said, you're, you just promised me that you're going to do something about it. You know, just promise me that you're going to try, you know, whether it be going to see somebody, whether it is, whatever it is, she said, she just, she truly just cared. You know, she truly just wanted me to, to get back to a good place and, I mean, obviously, even before that, all my friends, all my family, I think everybody wanted to help me get to that place. But I think it was it was a very tough position for them to vocalize that just because especially for my family, we went through it. I mean, as much as obviously I, I was a part of it and we were a part of it who was on that bus that day. But it was still, you know, my family. And I think I think even for them, it was tough to to recover mentally and emotionally so I think it was maybe it was just tough to vocalize it and be obviously they had my best intent or best interests at heart and every intention they had was so pure but yeah my billa mom finally just said like just promise me that you're going to do something and I mean my my parents and my family everybody saw me ball my eyes out on national tv at the NHL awards and and the first game back in Humboldt the home opener and I mean everybody saw it but I think it was just like, maybe it was a case of, you know, he's, he's letting out emotion. That's good. But I think it was for me, I was at the point where I had nothing left other than to just let it out. But I don't think that was truly a cry that really helped me. I mean, that next day it was obviously, I mean, I felt like a weight was off my shoulders, but it was a case of I'm not doing anything about it. And my mind and my emotions are literally at the point where it's, it's like, we have to cry or else like, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. So it was, it was quite the journey. And I mean, it, it was quite the, the learning experience for, for everyone, for my family, for, for the people around me. And, but I, I can't thank them enough for just being there, especially my family and, and obviously my bill of parents. I mean, they were just there and it was a very tough position for them as well, just because they saw me hurting, but I mean, it's never an easy thing to 
to bring that up. And it's never an easy thing to, you know, try and guide them on that right path. So, yeah, I mean, looking back, it was it was quite the journey, but I'm definitely grateful for the people that were around me. And that's just it, man. I, fi- I find too, like when you go through things, sometimes having that that person that's kind of removed from your inner circle a little bit to kind of give you that little bit of a snap, you know, a little bit of a, like a little bit of a wake up call kind of thing where it's cause I can imagine it's hard. And it, for me, absolutely. It's hard to like give my close friends or my family that kind of advice, you know, because like you say, they're either feeling it too, or they're, they're unsure on how to handle it. Like there's, there's an emotional tie there that, that fits with people that are in your inner circle, in your family. So it's, it's often good to have that third party, some, you know, come in and just, you know, just not even do much, just be there and share the story and just kind of be there to support you and maybe point you in the right direction. So I'm, I'm glad that she was there to do that for you, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I couldn't agree more. And uh, even right now, I, th- I think it's still something I need to work on. I mean, just we're truly relying on the people around me. And I think he, it usually unfortunately takes alcohol or it usually unfortunately takes, takes a, a game like with, it's called, we're not really strangers where the, those tough questions are being asked. You know, I still have mm-hmm. to work on the fact that when I'm not doing all right and my girlfriend, whoever it is, asks me, you know, how are you doing? You know, how was your day? I need to have that open dialogue and I need to vocalize it rather than just kind of, you know, just being like, oh, I was, you know, it's fine, you know, and not really diving into it. You know, I find that for some reason, I need a, cat, a catalyst to it. I need sometimes I need the alcohol. Sometimes I need the the right situation, the right moment. I, sometimes I just need that right question to be asked. Where it's a case of I have to answer this, or else these people are probably going to see through me. And I mean, every time, even with my girlfriend, every time she asks, she can see through me. If, you know, if something's going on inside my mind that she can see right through me, but I think it's, I, I still have to work on that. I, as much as I preach vulnerability and as much as I come onto a podcast and, and be as vulnerable as can be, I think it's the everyday thing is still something I need to work on. Those girlfriends, man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right through it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it, Tyler, I lo- love the answer. I, 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 this question is not on the show sheet, but obviously I'm hearing you talk and it just, it's, it sparked me to want to ask it. If you could give advice to other people going through a struggle, mental health hurdles, what would be the one thing that you would say to them for advice? Yeah, even looking back, if I could write a letter to myself, it's just the the subtle act of just taking that step and and not prolonging that suffering and not pushing it back. I think it's just, it's so incredibly hard and challenging to take that step because I mean, uh, I'm not trying to discredit anybody, but I mean, for a male athlete like myself, like it wasn't a case of this is easy. You know, it wasn't a case of I've done this so many times before where I open up and I can talk to the people around me. Like it was a case of I need to do something or else it's just going to continue to bottle up. So, if it, I mean, for other people, I think it's just it's a case of realizing that first step is 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 courageous and, and has a bravery and has a strength attached to it rather than that weakness, rather than that shame. And, and rather than that kind of that stereotype that at least for a male athlete that I've lived, you know, I think I, I'm sure even with you, Fabian, I mean, I'm not going to come to the rink when I was playing midget hockey and I'm not going to come to the rink and be like, boys, I got to tell you something like I'm having a really shitty day, you know, like I, I'm going to go to the rink and I'm going to play sewer ball with the boys. I'm going to go to practice and I'm going to go home, you know, and we're going to have a, we're going to have some fun bullshit in the dressing room and, and that's about it. But now, I mean, looking back, I definitely wish I relied on the people, even after the accident, I wish I relied on those people around me more just because those people that you surround yourself with truly are just there, you know, and they're, if they're uncomfortable with those conversations or if they don't want to have those conversations, then unfortunately those people may not deserve to be in your life. You know, it's harsh, but at the end of the day, I think the people you, that you surround yourself with is, is very much key aspect of of your healing journey and I mean even even for me I think I had this this misconception that when I take that first step it's going to be fine and dandy after that you know when I take that first step I'm going to go to therapy two or three times and it's going to be fine I won't have to put in too much work but for anybody that's listening I unfortunately there's work involved you know there is work it's not a case of you can go to one or two appointments or you can read one book or you can write in a journal for a couple nights and you're good it's obviously different for everybody and obviously everybody has different struggles and different stories. But I think the, the fact is that 
your mental health is an everyday thing. And I mean, you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. So to be able to find, to get to a place in your mind where you can embrace the good and the bad, I think is also something that I try to try to put an emphasis on as much as the, even with the accident anniversary coming up, like it's going to be always the worst day. I mean, it's, that's as simple as that. And I think the anticipation factor is, is definitely a key part of that being the worst day, but to be able to hopefully get to a place where I can somewhat embrace that and somewhat just get to a place where looking back, I can cherish those memories. I can cherish those people and I can, and yeah, I mean, I definitely wish I had more answers. I'm still definitely learning lots about the whole mental health world, but yeah, that's probably something that has been part of my journey. That's a great answer. Yeah, man. you killed that answer, man. <laughs> that was a, that was a home run. And just so we're clear, that is exactly what men's league is about. We want to change that shinny game and that pickup basketball game and whatever it is. We want guys to go to that game and feel comfortable about talking about some of their stuff. You know, guys, Absolutely. listen today. Next time you go to pickup game, ask your buddy. You know, how are you doing? And when he says no, I'm chilling. Say no, 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 for real, bro. How are you actually doing? And give him oh, give him that space. You know, that's what this movement is about, 100%. Uh, I want to shift to not alone. You know, it's okay to not be okay. Talk to me about the clothing line, the brand, the idea, you know, where that came from, how it materialized, and, you know, just tell us about it. I want the people to know. Yeah, it was definitely just kind of a spur of the moment thing. I I find myself hopefully a fashionable person where, I mean, I love my clothing. I love my shoes. I love my hats. You know, I love all that shit. But pink hoodies, um, man. I know. Yeah, I know. I got it on today. But yeah, I think it was, you know, I, I found myself at a good place. I found myself at a good place mentally. And I found myself obviously being vulnerable and sharing my story a little bit, whether it be through public speaking or whether it be through podcasts or or Movember or whatever it is, raising money for mental health awareness. And, and so I just went to my, my family friends at the embroidery shop and I was like, Hey, like I have an idea for a hoodie. Like, can I just like put it on and or put, can you guys embroider this for me? And, and we'll just see what, see how it looks. And yeah. So, I mean, I, I originally made three, one for my, one for me, one for my girlfriend, one for my brother. You know, I just went in and I was like, I'll get three of them, however they look, whatever, you know, like these are just two messages that mean a lot to me. And I just love to have them on a hoodie. So it was probably about two weeks. I mean, we had them and, and I didn't really post anything, you know, I was just happy to have it. And I remember we went on a hike, Tarmigan Cirque, me and my girlfriend, we went on a hike and we got to the top and yeah, it was, yeah, good little hike, but we got to the top and, and she's like, why don't you just like take a, like a picture, you know, like we can post it. And I mean, it's, it's not so much about seeing if people want it. It was just, it was just, you know, feeling good in the hoodie and, and I could post this and I could be, you know, proud that I just did this hike and, and whatever it may be. And, and I ended up posting it and, I mean, it was just, after that, it was just like, I remember going to the embroidery shop, Alice Embroidery, it's called, and I, I was like, can we do this? Like, can we sell these? Like, it, like, what do we do here? Like, I have no idea. Like, I have people reaching out, like, if where do you get them? How do I get them? And all this. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm beyond grateful for them because, I mean, they've they've taken most of the workload and, and they've helped me distribute quite a few hoodies out to, to the public. And I think the biggest thing for me was originally it was just like, these messages just mean a lot, you know, as uh, as simple as they are not alone and it's okay to not be okay. I think people just resonate with those messages. Like people just as simple as they are, people have their own kind of definition and meaning behind those messages. And I mean, before I even started to incorporate those messages, I mean, I always felt that shame, you know, I I was like, I'm why would I not be okay? You know, why would I ever try to, you know, like it was just, it, it, it sucked because I, I, I never had these messages or, had these phrases or whatever it was that I could truly just incorporate and and have have them hit home with me. And I remember I started getting messages of people being like, geez, like I've had conversations with my family and friends that I've never had before because of these hoodies. And I was like, my God, like I was like this, like this hits home. I was like, this yes. is, I was like, this is exactly what I want. You know, at the, at the start, I didn't really, I didn't have the high expectations. I, I thought maybe a couple of my friends and family were going to purchase them and just to support me. And I could donate a couple hundred bucks to mental health awareness. And then I ended up getting to a point where, I mean, I, I received an immense amount of support. And I think the biggest thing is a, a, a lot of tough conversations were hopefully started. Obviously it's different right now where you can't just go to a grocery store and, 
and see somebody wearing a hoodie and be like, oh, where'd you get that? You know, people are a little uh, cautious still, but I think that's ultimately where I want to get to, you know, get to a point where when you're walking down the street or walking in the grocery store and you see somebody with a hoodie on and, and whether it be with a stranger, whether it be something, you know, at, at a dinner table, you know, just being like, geez, like that, I, I like that hoodie. Like how, you know, like, how did you get it? And like, how you doing? Like, is, a, is that something that hits home with you? And I mean, I, I don't know how these conversations go, but I think it's just the, hopefully the, the true meaning of just an open dialogue with somebody that, that you truly care about. And I mean, I hope it's getting to that point where, where people can really relish that, that vulnerability side of them that they usually don't bring about. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's been incredible, man. It's, it's honestly just been, it's been so refreshing to, to receive those messages and know that conversations are starting. And then, yeah, I mean, I hope to, to continue to do it, but I mean, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens in life. But yeah, I mean, I can't thank any, everybody enough for obviously the support and love on them so far. That story fires me right up. Me too. So where do the people go to buy it? Because that's going to say, where do we plug this yeah, in, bro? That's what I want to do right now. Bring the people yeah, to exactly. the site. What's the site? Give yeah, us a, that give message us. is so pure. Oh, it's no. so good. It's just like, it's simple yet like exactly what we need more of yeah. is just like people having simple conversations. Just, just having that little breach of the topic and getting people in there, it just... Dude, it's brilliant. Yeah, and it's like the slogan itself literally is men's league. It's like it's okay to not be okay and you're not alone. That's literally what we're trying to breed. Really, that should have been our slogan. That's a really good one. <laughs> we'll talk about that later, Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, tell the tell the tell the people how they can how they can see some of this gear and maybe check out some of these hoodies. Yeah, so I mean, I've definitely never done the uh, the whole marketing side of things. So it's just, I, I mean, I put it up on uh, my Instagram through the link in my bio. And yeah, I mean, we, we just released some other stuff where it's it's more, it's I, I found these, I put up an Instagram poll and I think I, I said, what word do you associate with kind of overcoming mental health challenges? And most of the ones I got were courage, bravery, and vulnerability. And I now I just put them on the neck of another sweater and I think, that's another thing as well. I, I mean, obviously, I, I, I've supported quite a few mental health brands, and I, I love what mental health brands and, and awareness do. And But for, for me, these hoodies, like, I just want it to be, like, in your face. You know, I want it to be a case of you don't have to dive behind a logo. You don't have to dive behind anything. Like, it's just a case of shit. Like, you know, like, I'm not alone. You know, like, like geez, like, I can wear courage and be proud of it. You know, I can... I can wear this and, and feel pride in myself, hopefully, and, and people can see that. You know, like I'd, I'd, I'd love to even do a hoodie where it's just a bunch of mental health words smacked all over the hoodie just nice. because it's just like, that's just like, it hits you. And it's not, it, it's not a case of you have to dive into it. It's a case of that instantly hopefully gets you thinking. And yeah, so I started, I, I did start a little Instagram page as well but it's, it's very mundane. <laughs> so other than that, probably just do the link in my bio or express. Do you, do you just, do you know the link? Like in case someone doesn't have Instagram and they want to check it out, do you have like a, obviously we will, when we, yeah, yeah. Episode, we'll, we'll put your tag and we'll put all that in there. But if you could drop your Instagram handle right now and the handle for the clothing site, even though it's not where you want it and anything <laughs> else you want, I just want to make sure we give the people the info, you know? Yeah. So this, the, my Instagram is uh smitty two six nine. I have the most generic name in the world. So it was tough <laughs> to find an Instagram name. So I combined my two favorite numbers and, and put my nickname. And then the, I guess the, the website link is not alone. 2020.itemorder.com. So perfect. Awesome, man. Perfect. All right. Well, brother, we got one more big question for you. It's the men's league classic, and then we'll shoot you some, some bonus questions and get you on your way. But what does the word masculinity mean to you? And at the same token, what does it mean to be a man to Tyler Smith? Man, that's, it's a question that I've really like tried to dive into. And it's a question that I've really tried to, to somewhat understand. And I mean, even with your Zach Ronaldo episode, I listened to his answer and he hit, I think he hit the nail on the head with his, but for me, I mean, Growing up, I mean, my dad is the the epitome of a man. You know, my dad is, when I come home, I'm getting my old change and I'm getting my tires fixed and he can do what, whatever. I mean, he can build a deck. He can, he, he'll continually take care of his family. He'll, 
And I think that's something that, I mean, I've always tried to pride myself on is to be able to hopefully, you know, just take care of my family and do those little things. And that's why I have so much respect for my dad. But the other reason I have so much respect for my dad is he is now understanding that he doesn't have to be this big, strong man and hide everything inside in order to to gain our love or our respect. And I hope he doesn't mind me putting him on the spot. But I mean, I just have, I now even have a, a more immense amount of respect for him just because he can now understand that he can take care of himself first. You know, like it's not a case of he's always has to take care of his family. I mean, which he still does. I mean, he, he, he still finds himself doing that, but now he understands that that self-care aspect that, I mean, we've always looked upon as selfish is actually not selfish. And uh, that's something that I've, I've definitely tried to incorporate into my life as well, just because, I mean, it's true. I mean, if I come home and, and I, you know, obviously I'm, I'm super excited to see my parents, but if I have to be like, I just need an hour, you know, like I just need to go, whatever, whether that be take a bath, whether that be whatever it is. I mean, it's just, they understand and they respect that as well. So I think just now being a man, obviously, I mean, even with Movember, I grow all my mustache and I try to raise as much money as possible. But I think just now with being a man, I think it's just truly just understanding that you can be yourself and you can struggle and you can go through things and you can face them head on and you can you can be proud of yourself as well. I mean, at least for me, I'm not a guy that's usually one to, to look at myself in the mirror and, and be proud of myself or, or look at me and be like, you did this, like, good for you. You know, I think, but now, I mean, I, I think my perspective has changed on that just because why not, you know, why not be proud of yourself? Whether that be, why not be proud of yourself for getting out of a, a bed on a bad day or whether that be doing your first oil change, whatever it is. I mean, just as simple as that, I still have to fully kind of, dive into that question a little more but I mean off the top of my head that's something that I've always looked up to my dad but I continue to look up to my dad as well just because I mean we we are able to have open conversations and dialogue and we are able to sit at the dinner table over a beer or a glass of wine and 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 not just talk about the sport that's going on or not just talk about kind of what's happening in life or like what's happening on the outside world, we can talk about our life. We can talk about what's going on inside our minds. And I think it's hopefully something that is continuing to shift. I mean, I, you can see it. You're Robin Leonard's of the NHL. You're DeMar DeRozan's. You're Dak Prescott's. You can see these superhero men. At least for me, I have so much respect and admiration for what Robin Leonard's doing in the mental health world, especially for the NHL. But that takes a man to get up on a press conference and be like, this is why we have a stigma. Because of this, you know, like he's got a concussion, but everybody thinks he's going through mental health stuff and he can't go through mental health stuff because everybody eats away at him, but he can face it head on and he, and he can have that conversation that a lot of maybe even reporters or audience don't really want to listen to or understand. But at the end of the day, you have to. And I think for me, that's probably what comes to mind when it, when it means, you know, being a man and, and that masculinity. We got to stop giving these guys a show sheet. Yeah, <laughs> this, is, this guy says <laughs> off the top of my head, right and then he, then he hits us in that. Yo, yo. Oh, yo, my goodness, man. Okay. Well done. These, well, yeah. I don't know what these young guys are eating and drinking. And like, the maturity level that I'm uh, like, are you, I, I'm thankful that they didn't have Instagram and yeah. when I was 22, okay? That's one. That's a great answer, man. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I, I think that's a great segue into the, the speed bonus round. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> uh, I just made that up. Yeah, okay, great. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, here, here we go. You ready, Ty? Absolutely. All right, if Hollywood made a movie about your life, whom would you like to see play you as the lead role? Ooh. Brad Pitt. I knew Fucking you good answer. I could good answer. answer. That was quick. He was yeah. quick or Ryan Reynolds. Or oh, good. Good. another good yeah. Derek. Well, I was gonna go Brad Pitt. Well, that's I mean, <laughs> you kind of look like Brad Pitt though, though. So that'll work. You Yo, look that's like Brad guy. I didn't even pay him to say. We're editing that out. I did not sure. even pay him to say. That's that. getting edited out. My guy. What was the question? I'm blushing. I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> 
All right, Fabian, how about you? Who's your who's you your know, Can't say Brad Pitt. <laughs> well, I was gonna I'd go Will Smith, bro. Will, oh, bro. Yeah. Or, you know, if I get two, I'd go with Denzel, but like, I think that's true. Denzel. Hmm. Yeah, that those are nice. two legends. How about the yeah, Rock? Oh, the Rock, Dwayne. Okay, this is speed round, so let's speed up. Um, if you were a character from Star Wars, who would you be? Mm. Do you, do you, okay, are you going to hate me? I don't... I can honestly say that I've never got into your Lord of Rings, Star Wars, Star Trek, Harry Potter. I, mean, I like how you lumped them all together. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I need to sit down and I need to try no. it. But I've... <laughs> no. You don't? You uh, don't, bro? I'm with you, man. I, I've never seen any of those ones. All right, maybe we should get that one off. Well, hold on, hold on. Well, let's get one answer out of it. No, well, first of all, Who about after, you? after today's show, I would say he's Yoda. Yeah. I would say Chewbacca, bro. I'm, I'm tall. Yeah. Okay, little energy. You, you, know, got the, you got, the, you got the, the, the noise he makes yeah. down pat? You no, got it? I, no, I don't. Oh, we're not, okay. not going to do all that right. either. Okay, <laughs> number three. And the last question. If you're applying for a job and on the application it said, we want a truthful employee, okay? That's the first thing it says on the line. And then the next line they say, there's $20 on the floor, no one's around. You pick it up. What do you do with the $20? I pick it up and I tell them that I took it. <laughs> you, 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 so you take it and then tell them you took it? Yeah, man. Or I could just be like... Or I, or I pick it up and be like, hey, is this anybody's 20 bucks? And if nobody claims it, that's that's mine, man. That's, that's yeah. beer money. Like, <laughs> that's beer money. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little sensitive. I I went for a job application when I was younger at uh, Best Buy. They asked me that question. No. I said, it said we want someone truthful. And I was like, I thought to myself, what would I do if I found $20 in the middle of the floor? There's no one around. I was like, I'd probably take the $20. So I wrote it. I'm thinking, okay, I'm here. That's truthful. I know. That's what I thought I was doing. And then do you think I got the job? Probably not. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh, shit. <laughs> Looking at you, Best Buy. Yeah. Well, I and guess that... when you're standing around a bunch of iPads and iMacs and whatever right? it is. You know, yeah. I know. Yeah. I thought it did, it did settle in after. I was like, yeah. okay, well, that's probably, that was probably not a good answer. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> no, but honestly, man, we appreciate you coming on. It's been awesome getting to know you it's been awesome having you on the show and you know hope we continue our relationship and we'll be uh, submitting our orders for those hoodies asap mm-hmm. ah, appreciate you guys yeah no um, thanks again and let's let's play some hoops soon you know like I, Whoa, i'm not good i'm not necessarily good but i got a harden i got a bryant and i got a i think it's a lowry jersey weight so just call me up and i'll leave okay if we're gonna do go that on. i'm going into the uh, the archives i'm pulling out the grand hill detroit you pistons Yes, I like that. Learning a lot about yeah, today. Yo, 33 Grand Hill, Detroit. I Just like listen, that. Bro. You said the magic <laughs> word, it's Kobe, so I'm there. And that, my friends, is the show. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. That was great, fellas. Dude, you're a legend. <laughs> I'm going to hit... Oh, no. <laughs> and then it's got a roll.